Wow. Welcome to church today. Um, we want to just continue to worship the Lord now through the study of his word. So if you'll grab your Bibles with me. Um, if you need a Bible, there should be one in the chairs there around you. You can grab one of those and follow along with us as well. Uh, we're going to be continuing on in the book of Acts this morning. We've been working our way through this, looking at how we can be on mission with the Lord um, and for his glory. And today I want to look at a, an important aspect of what it means to be on mission, and that's the fact that God's mission is grace-driven. And I think this is an important message for us um, as a church as we step into this new season, as we start to walk through this, tra- this season of transition and then into this new um, vision before us that God is doing um, that we need to know how to do that with grace, filling our hearts and filling our church. And um, so hopefully this is going to be helpful to all of us today. Um, I've shared with you before, uh, and most of you know, some of you who are newer, maybe not, but my parents um, were divorced when I was a, a fairly young boy. And um, so after the divorce, my two sisters and I went to live with my mom. Um, and uh, it was quite an adjustment. Um, and by an adjustment, I mean... Um, we were poor. <laughs> Can I just say that this morning? Like, you didn't really know it as a kid, right? Like, you just kind of like, we had to move from the house to the little apartment. Um, and sure, you could hear your neighbors every conversation, but they had a pool, right? And, and you had more friends to play with, so that was a step up in our minds. Um, but uh, we were, we, we didn't have much. My mom was, you know, a single mom, and so we just kind of went through, and you didn't really catch on to too much. I just thought everybody had, you know, um, uh, um, uh, what was the name of it? I just lost it. I thought everybody had hamburger helper for dinner every night. Like, that's just kind of the thing. Like, you know, the dollar box that you get of flavoring, and you put, like, just enough meat in it to give it some flavor, and then you had the 25 cent of dented canned green beans from the discount store, and that was dinner, and it was good. And, um, but what, what I remember most about that time is my mom um, working diligently to change that. Um, she was working multiple jobs. She went back and she finished her degree. Um, so she could advance herself and provide for our family and um, just tirelessly, tirelessly working and sacrificing for us. Many late nights, staying up with all the kids, getting the homework done because she was not going to allow us to not get a good education. Um, The years that she went without buying herself any clothes so that we could have school shoes and sports uniforms and band instruments and just year after year, sacrificial love and grace and service to her kids and that impacted my life so much, and it drives me in so many ways as an adult now, as a parent now, and, and how I live and how I see things. And, and um, her gracious, I can, and when I think back and I remember all of her gracious sacrifices for me, it also drives me to do whatever she needs. <laughs> like, mom can call up and say, hey, I need help. Or, hey, yes, whatever the date, yes. Um, we just do that because because mom did that for us. And I think many of you can probably come up with similar stories from your own childhood with your parents, and maybe you had that really hardworking parent that always showed you what it meant to, to work hard, and so now that drives you to succeed today and to work hard as you saw them do. Maybe it was um, seeing that parent that had the really strong faith, and that drives you still today to be in worship and to be faithful to the Lord and seeking after Jesus. Maybe it's, maybe it was maybe even some unpleasant things. Maybe they're Maybe you suffered some abuse from a parent or a guardian, and that drives you in the way that you deal with relationships today. Maybe creates some distance at times, unfortunately. Or maybe the parent was just absent altogether, and now that drives you to pour into every relationship that you can 
all the love that you have because you know what it's like not to have it. Whatever that was for you, those things drive us in the way that we live, amen? One way or another, good or bad, and the same thing is true with our Heavenly Father. God has shown us and continues to show us just unmeasurable grace and, and sacrificial love and just continued faithfulness over and over and over again. And when we take time to remember and to see, that should drive us to follow him on his mission filled with the grace of God. Walking on mission is our response to God's work in our lives. That's the way we see this thing. It's not something we just muscle up and do for him. This is something that we do in response for the grace that he has given us. So here's the way I want us to kind of think through this today as we walk through this text and we look at Paul's example. God's grace in my life drives me to live on mission. God's grace in my life drives me to live on mission. All right, now here's the deal today. You gotta bear with me a little bit because I want everybody to grab your Bibles for a second. Grab your Bibles in your hand. Even if you got a phone Bible, that's fine. Grab your Bible, okay? Lift it up like this. Everybody show me your Bibles. Hold them up. Now, do a little bit of this right here, all right? Get that arm working because we got a lot of scripture to cover today, all right? We're gonna really do some heavy lifting in the God's word today. Can we do that? Can we, can we just read? Can we just read a big chunk of scripture today? and let the Lord speak to us. I know sometimes it gets a little, you know, like boring or you get a little like, you start to, to, to phase out when we read large sections of God's word, but we need to, we need to not do that today. Because it's so rich and there's so much, and I only have so much time, so I can't like, we can't be here till four o'clock, all right? So just, just let me read and let's just hear what God has to say to us. And here's the first major point I want you to see in God's word today. God's grace prepares me for mission. So remember. We need to remember the evidence of God's grace in our life in order to get this mission thing right. And we're going to see Paul lead us to do that here in this text. So chapter 13 of Acts, verse 13 is where we're going to start. First, we have to just set up the story. So the first couple verses are just set up, okay? So let's just get through those. Now Paul and his companions set sail for Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Poseidon, and on the Sabbath day they went to the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, and we're going to pause there. We'll get to Paul's sermon here in just a second. So the setting is this. If you remember last week, if you were with us, um, Paul was in um, Paphos. He just won the proconsul over to faith and converted him and everything's going good. So now they leave and they go by boat over to, um, to Perga and Pamphylia and they land there and then they're going to journey inward on the continent to the city of Antioch, Poseidon. This is a different Antioch than the one they left. They didn't already go back, okay? This is a different Antioch and now this is the new city in which they're going to be teaching God's word. Somewhere in there, John Mark cuts out and goes back home. We'll deal with him later. I ain't got time for him today, okay? So come back to John Mark. But so they end up in the Sabbath on the synagogue because this was always Paul's pattern was to go to the Jews first, right? Because as we talked about last week, they were already primed for the gospel. 
They had the Old Testament. They believed in God. They were looking for a Messiah. It should have made perfect sense for them to be the first ones to become Christians. And so Paul goes there first, and the leaders of the synagogue, not knowing what they're saying, say, hey, do you have a word of encouragement for us? Like, stand up, tell us something. And Paul's like, no problem, right? So he stands up, and he gets ready to give his first major sermon here in the book of Acts. And so here's what I want to do with this sermon. It's kind of lengthy. I'm just going to read through it, and here's what I think Paul's point is in this whole sermon. He's trying to put God's grace on display. He just stacks up example after example after example after example of God's grace in their lives so that they might turn and believe, right? And so what's interesting here is as he goes through a sermon, God is the subject. God is the actor. Almost all the verbs are pointing to something that God is doing in the life of the people, therefore exhibiting his grace towards them. So I'm going to read, I'm going to just point it out as we go, okay? So the first thing he hits on here is God's grace and past faithfulness. He gives him a little history lesson here from Israel's perspective. So let's start there in his, his, um, his speech in 16. Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. That's grace, right? He chose us, he raised us up, he made us great, keep going, and with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. He delivered them from their captivity. That's God's grace in their lives. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. I love that Paul throws that in, right? He's like, all the belly aching, all the complaining, all the false worship, he just puts up with them. That's grace, right? And all the parents said, amen. Okay, that's grace that God is showing here. Verse 19, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. Grace. All this took about 450 years, and after, he gave the, after that, he gave them judges until the Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. So now he's given them leaders, judges, and kings to lead them forward. That's grace as he gives them leadership in their life. Verse 22, and when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. David, if you would have been an Israelite, when you heard the name King David, that was like the Mecca. That was the pinnacle. That was the best point in their entire history was King David's rule. And so he takes them all the way up this mountain of grace, all this path where God has been grace, 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 and gets them to the top with King David showing them and helping them remember the faithfulness of God in the past as he showered them with grace. And then he goes into God's grace, not in the past, but in the present, in the present Messiah. He jumps from King David all the way to Jesus. Look at verse 23. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? Am I not he? Am I not he? No. But behold, after one, me is one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. So even John saying, no, no, it's not me. He's coming, all right? The Savior's coming. And then Paul keeps going. Look at 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. God's grace wrapped in human form, salvation coming to earth. And then he tells them how it happened, 27. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, 
because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. God's grace showed up when he sent his son in human form to die a death that he did not deserve. Paul doesn't touch on it here, but we know from other scriptures that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. And then he went to the cross and he died a sinner's death. Not for his sin, but for your sin and my sin as a substitute in our place. And God allowed that. God gifted that to us. That is grace. It says they took him down from the tree, the cross. They put him in a tomb. And then verse 30 starts with the two greatest words in all of the Bible. But God. But God shows up and raised him from the dead. And his life was another act of grace to us because if Jesus would have died and stayed in the tomb, it would have been a nice sacrifice and all. It would have been, you know, a warm, fuzzy feeling, but it wouldn't have done anything for our sin problem. It was the resurrection of Christ that showed that he was God, that overcame sin and death, and that made a way for us to be forgiven. That's the fulfillment of God's grace. And for many days, it says, he appeared to those who came who come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. So he left some behind who had seen him, who could say, I saw it with my own eyes. This is true. He is the savior of the world. Grace. So God's grace in past faithfulness in the present Messiah. And then he says God's grace in the promised fulfillment as he starts to quote the Old Testament. Look at verse 32. And we begin, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm, Psalm chapter two, verse seven, he quotes here, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So God prophesied hundreds of years before that he was going to send his own son to be the Messiah. He keeps going, 34. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. He quotes Isaiah 55, 3. He says, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David, that one of David's sons was going to come and be the Messiah. He tells us that in the Old Testament. 35, therefore he says, also in another psalm, Psalm 16, 10, you will not let your holy one see corruption. When he comes back, he's going to live forever. And he did. Verse 36, for David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, through Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone, everyone who believes is freed everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. God promised this hundreds of years before, and now it's being fulfilled. That's grace. And then he hits one more, God's grace in his warning. So if that wasn't enough so far to, to bring you over, to believe, 
he hits us with this. Look at verse 40. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Habakkuk 1.5 says, Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. He says, listen, God warned you before that this was going to happen, and there were going to be some people who wouldn't believe. Don't be one of those people. God's given you enough grace to believe. Step into it. And so as Paul takes them on this journey to remember all the grace of God, look at how the people respond, how their hearts are drawn. It says in verse 42, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. Now, I've preached a lot of sermons. I've had a lot of people come up to me afterwards and say, hey, that was a good sermon, Pastor. I appreciate that, da, da, da. I've never had anyone beg me to go again, all right? They've been like, all right, let's just do another two hours right now. But they begged that Paul would come back and tell them more because they were hungry for grace. This was, this was like water to their dry and thirsty souls. This is what they weren't getting anywhere else. And I'll tell you what, friends, even today in our world, you don't get this anywhere else. Only from the Lord. Verse 43, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So some of them, they begged them to come back next Sunday. They couldn't even wait till next Sunday. We're just going to follow these guys around all day. Right? We're just going to keep, like, if they're with Jesus, we want to be with We're just going to keep following them. We want more. We want it right now. See, God is moving. He's preparing their hearts to believe. He's wooing them with his grace. And Paul and Barnabas know it, and so their response to them, this is one of the best verses in this section, continue in the grace of God. Notice Paul's response to them is not, okay, well, if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to stop doing this. Stop this sinful behavior over here. He doesn't tell them, you need to start doing all the law stuff, all the righteous stuff. You need to start showing up at church. He doesn't say you need to start serving over here in the nursery or you need to start giving some money. He says, no, no, just continue to walk, to be filled, to live in the grace of God. You see, grace isn't a do thing. It's a be thing. You don't do anything to earn or get or experience grace. You just be in the presence of God who gives grace to all who believe. Living in grace is the whole of the Christian life. It all starts here. It is foundational to everything that we are, everything that we're called to do and be. You cannot be on mission if you're not first living and walking in the grace of God. So he tells them, continue to receive the grace, continue to be filled with God's grace. This is what changes and prepares your hearts for mission. You know, I, I was, when I think back and I remember God's work in my own life and his evidence of grace in my own life, I'm just, I'm just blown away. Like I, I, was, I was born into a family with two parents who, sure, they had their problems, but man, they loved Jesus. And they had me in church every time the doors were open, and they gave me a, a foundation in the gospel at a very early age. Even after my parents divorced, and we were with mom, and 
I saw God miraculously, and I'm not using that word lightly, but miraculously provide for our family time and time again. Even during my rebellious teenage years and college years, I saw God just continue to, to keep me from some really stupid decisions that could have really messed up my life. Sure, I was not walking with him, but he was still showering me with grace and keeping me close so that he could woo my heart back to him one day. In college, I met my beautiful wife, Courtney, and she is the greatest gift that God has ever given me short of my salvation. That's God's grace. And I just see it, even in our marriage, through marriage problems, through, through sin problems, through miscarriages, through ministry trials, through cancer, God's grace just showered upon us. I can look at our church and see God's grace, just a testimony of it every single step of the way. Even when we were 30 people struggling to keep things going and not sure it was going to work, God just continued to provide financially for everything that we needed. When we launched, he's given us a place to meet. He's given us resources. He's given us leaders. He's given us people. He's given us servants and unity and just grace upon grace upon grace. Now, I believe that we're seeing another installment of his grace right here this morning to both churches as he brings us together as one to continue walking in the grace of God, just like Paul told these new believers in Acts 13. It's all him. It's all him. It's all his grace. So I would just ask you today, what about you? What's your list? Some of you, I think, might be feeling a little dry right now. You might be feeling like, you know, I, I love Jesus. I'm still a Christian, I believe. But I just don't feel like my walk with him is really strong right now. It's, it feels kind of dried out. I don't feel like my serving is really heartfelt. I'm, I'm, I'm still doing it. I'm still doing the thing, but I don't really feel it anymore. I don't really feel like I am walking in the grace of God right now. I would challenge you, do what Paul does here. Make a list. Literally, this week, sit down at the table, pen and paper, and write down a list of all the ways that God's grace has impacted your life. And as you start to remember all the times that God has met you, it will stir back in your heart a love and a joy and a grace that drives you forward on mission. We have to remember. I remember God's grace to stir my desire for him and his mission. So what we need to do, all of us, all the time, continually, over and over again, sit and remember and praise and thank the Lord for his grace so we can continue to follow him. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was being spoken by Paul reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly against it, against, uh, I'm sorry, spoke out boldly saying, it is necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, 
we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Point number two today is this. God's grace puts me on mission. So believe. God's grace will put me on mission if I will believe. It starts there. It says here the next Sabbath. So we've fast forwarded a week. We're now back to Sabbath again. And they come back to hear Paul tell more about the grace of God. And it says the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Not to hear Barnabas, not to hear Paul, not to hear one of the leaders. They came to hear the word of God. Because that's where the power's at. We say this all the time at our church. The messenger is nothing. The message is everything. All right, it doesn't matter who's up. It's not me. It's not one of our elders. It's not somebody. It's God's word that changes people's hearts. So they came, hungry for God's grace, and the Jews, the Jewish leaders at least, they missed it. Right? They don't come back hungry for grace. They come back full of jealousy. Because they never got a crowd like that. They've been in the city for a long time. They've been doing the thing every week at the synagogue. They've never had a crowd show up like this. So they start to contradict and revile Paul. He was a threat to their pride. He was a threat to their position. He was a threat to their, their, their prestige in the city. And we see in here in them welling up a problem that I think is very familiar to a lot of us if we look in the mirror closely, that pride was overtaking their hearts. It's about me. It's about what I want, what I need, what I look like. Nobody else, just me. And here's the thing that we learn from God's word over and over again. Pride blocks grace. Hear that this morning. Pride blocks grace every single time. James 4, 6 says this. But he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you want to experience God's grace, if you want to be filled, if you want to walk continually in God's grace, it requires humility. But here, they didn't have that. They had pride. And so Paul says, we came to you first, but you thrust it aside. Look, think about this imagery. You thrust God's grace aside and you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. When he says unworthy there, he doesn't mean unworthy like, I'm, I'm too bad of a sinner, I don't deserve it. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, no, 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 we got this. We don't need grace because we're following the law, we're doing the righteous thing, we're getting there on our own. That's what pride says. I can do this, me, 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 I don't need God's grace. Pride says, I'm, I'm too good for God's grace. So Paul says, fine, you don't want it? We're going to Gentiles. You see, the Jews were kind of like holier than thou. Look at us, we're so righteous, we keep all the laws. The Gentiles, not like that. They were like, no, no, we know we're jacked up. We know we need grace, right? So, so he's like, we're going to the Gentiles. They're gonna, they'll receive it. And they began rejoicing 
and glorifying the Lord when they heard. Because when humility meets grace, worship just pours out. When I know that I need Jesus and he shows up, I can't help but raise my hands and shout my voice and praise him for the God that he is. But it takes humility. And as many as were appointed believed. They believed and they were saved by God's grace through faith, just like Paul talks about. You can do that today as well. The fact that you're in this room right now, hearing the gospel, hearing the word of God, hearing about his grace, tells me that God has a plan for you. Just like he chose them to be saved, he's choosing you to come and to believe, and to be part of his family, but you have to take that step, and that step requires humility. Are you willing to admit that you need God's grace and to step into that and let him save you? You have to be humble enough to believe. Believe that you're a sinner deserving help. Believe that Jesus is a savior who died on the cross in your place for your sins. Not your neighbors, not your wives or your husbands or your kids, but for yours. Believe that he rose back from the dead with resurrection power to forgive sin and to make us part of the family. You have to believe in grace to save you. Do you believe today? Do you have that? Have you put that stake in the ground and said yes to God's grace in your life? I think there's just a really interesting contrast right here that Luke draws us between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews, even though they believed in God, even though they had the, the Old Testament, even though they had the scriptures and the prophecies, and they were too proud for grace. And so they missed it. They missed the savior of the world because they were proud. And yet on the other hand, the Gentiles who never thought they had a shot at it at all because of their humility and they were humble enough for grace means that they were humble enough for God and for his mission. Which one are you? Which one are you right now? You know, um, I was doing a little bit of reading this week, and um, many of you I know have heard of um, King Tut. You guys know about King Tut, right? Um, like one of the most famous uh, pharaohs of the Egyptian dynasty um, back in the day. And uh, what you may or may not know, I didn't know, uh, about 100 years ago now, they unearthed his tomb, and that's where they found all these really rare Egyptian artifacts. And... Howard Carter was the, the, the archaeologist, and they went in and they found just treasure stacked to the ceiling, like gold shrines and jewelry and precious statues. He even had a chariot up in that mug, right, just in case he woke up and wanted to go for, like, a drive around the pyramids or something. I don't know, all right? So, but all this stuff. But the most prized thing that they found in King Tut's tomb was his golden burial mask. We've got a picture of that. You guys have seen, you've probably seen this mask before, right, in different places, whatever, pictures of it. So they found his mask. So a few years ago, some museum employees were working with this 3,300-year-old golden mask, and 
there was an accident. King Tut's beard cracked off. You guys know about this? Like just straight up just broke off. And we, we don't really know what happened. We haven't quite got like a clear story. I don't know if they just dropped it or somebody bumped it or whatever. Or they grabbed it wrong or if they were playing Frisbee during coffee break. I don't know what happened. But like somehow it just broke off, all right? And, and to make matters worse, um, instead of fessing up to what happened and reporting it to the right people that could repair it correctly, they went and grabbed a tube of Gorilla Glue and just popped that sucker right back on. I don't know if it's actually Gorilla Glue, but some type of epoxy or something. They grabbed some glue, and they stuck it back on there. And then to make matters worse, they did a bad job, and so it kind of oozed out the sides. They went and got a spatula and scraped off the extra glue, damaging the mask even further. So finally it came to light, and obviously they had to work on it and repair it correctly. And I'm sitting there going, like, are you kidding me? Like, did you hire seventh graders to work at this museum? Like, what are we doing here? But in the end, this team of eight museum workers faced trial in Egypt for gross negligence because their pride got in the way. They were too proud to go and tell someone, hey, we made a mistake, we need help, can you help us fix this? If they would have done that, they might have still got fired, but at least there would have been some grace in the matter. So now instead of receiving grace, they're receiving jail time. That's us sometimes, isn't it? Don't we hate to admit when we're wrong? All you're like, no, I'm good, Micah. I, I'm, I just fess up all the time. You liars. <laughs> like, we hate to admit when we're wrong. We hate to admit that we made a mistake, that we need help, that, like, we need grace. But as long as we refuse to lay down our pride and admit our need, grace will never come. It requires humility. It requires stepping up and saying, God, I need you. That's the only way you get into the family. That's the only way you get on mission is when you admit your need for his grace in your life. Just look at the Jews. They were primed for the gospel and they missed it because of pride. God has a special place for you and his family. But you have to be humble enough to believe. I believe in God's grace to be added to God's family and mission. That's the way it works. That's you, that's me, that's every one of us. If we want in, it takes belief. That's what puts me on mission with God, is when I believe in him and not in myself. Last couple of verses this morning, look at verse 49. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Last point today, God's grace propels me for mission. Keep going. God's grace propels me to keep going on mission with him. Here it says in 49 that the word of the Lord was spreading. How is it spreading? Through the new converts, right? Like the Gentiles get saved and they start telling everybody they know about Jesus because that's what disciples do. 
Disciples of Jesus are evangelists for Jesus. When he saves us, when his grace floods our hearts and our lives, how can we not share that with others? So they start telling everybody, and God's grace overflows out of them into this bold witness for the gospel. But the Jews, they get all upset about it again. They didn't like it, right? They don't like somebody stealing all their people and taking their attention, so they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and get him kicked out of the city. And so they leave, and as, it, as they left, it says they shook off the dust from their feet. What does that mean? Like, why are they shaking off dust? This is actually pointing back to what Jesus instructed his disciples to do in Luke chapter 9, verse 5. He says, whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. In other words, what God is saying is, listen, my grace is available. It's free to everyone. But if they refuse my grace, then move on. Take it to somebody who will receive it. Don't stay there and fight. Don't try to beat them over the head. Don't try to convince them. Like, you don't have to lose the grace that you have in your heart from me trying to convince somebody else to take it. Just walk, as Paul and Barnabas said, just continue to walk in the grace of God to the next place to the next person who will receive it. And so they leave and they go to Iconium. They kept going. They didn't let another persecution, another bad city, another problem with some Jewish leaders stop them from mission. They just continued to walk in the grace of God to the next place, to the next people. But as they went, I love this, it says they were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. See, when we walk in God's grace, it fills us with joy. It fills us with his presence. And nobody and nothing, no persecution, no problems, no attacks, no, can steal that away. Because we have God's grace that is strengthening and protecting that. The word filled there, filled with joy, and the Greek is, the, is in the imperfect verb tense, which is just a whole bunch of mess to say that it means continuously. It means it keeps going over and over and over again. They were continuously being filled with the joy of the Lord and the spirit of the Lord. Why? Because they were living in the grace of God. And as long as you have that, you will forever have the joy in the presence of the Lord in your life. This is what keeps us going on mission. If you try to do the mission of Jesus without the grace of Jesus, you will fall flat on your face every single time. Because there are too many things in this world that will steal your joy and steal your, 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 the, 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 the presence of the Lord in your life if you let them. It's only when we are standing on the foundation of God's grace that we can stand strong and keep going with joy and the Spirit. I need God's grace to keep going on the mission just as much as I did to start it. 
Sometimes we think about grace only as the thing that saved us into Christianity. No, no, grace is what keeps us going for the entire Christian life. And without it, it will all fall apart. This is where we stand. This is what we need. This is what God fills us with. Here's what was really interesting. I was studying this week. I was preparing the message. I was studying the scriptures. And this same pattern of grace that we just looked at in in this example, preparation, salvation, mission, this, this progression that grace takes us through is found in a very familiar and beloved hymn of the church. And so I wanna just take a moment this morning. I just wanna read these lyrics to you. This is something that, this is a song the church has been singing for ages. And I believe the reason it has stood the test of time is because it is a testimony of the grace of God that we need over and over, day after day, moment after moment in our lives. Let me read these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Twas blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. Twas grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. Every step of the journey is filled with God's grace. His amazing grace. Church, we cannot lose sight of that. Because it's only that same grace that will lead us forward in the mission of our God for years and years to come. We need that. I need that. Let's stand right now. We're just going to sing that hymn to close us out today. Just to worship our God and to remind ourselves of his grace in our lives, in our church, in the mission. Let's sing. Let's sing.